Hey, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we start this next episode, I have a quick question for you. How do you feel about being subpoenaed in your private practice? If you have any fear, sense of dread, or worry, you are not alone. Please join us for our upcoming training with Nicole Stoller-Peterson on mastering your subpoena process in private practice. It's going to be an amazing training to help build your confidence, to help you serve your clients better, and to take out the guesswork when it comes to being subpoenaed in your private practice. All you need to do is go to zinnime.com and check out the training there. You will also get a recording if you sign up. We can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast, where we dive into amazing therapists from across the world, their stories of creating private practices, counseling practices, and even going beyond the couch. Today, I have Nicole here from Psychotherapy Memes. If you are not already following her on Instagram or wherever you get your memes, you should. Um, And uh, so we're going to be diving into her journey of starting not just her practice, but also her Instagram page and writing an amazing fly off the shelves book that is inspiring therapists around the world. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, thank you, Miranda. I appreciate the the awesome introduction. I'm excited to to be here and and chatting with you this morning. For sure. Do you want to introduce uh, your first and last name, where you're located, and the best like web address to check you out? Yeah, so my my name is Nicole Arts. I'm a licensed marriage family therapist out here in Southern California. Uh, my practice is in Orange County area, um, and I've worked throughout Orange County and Los Angeles for, for the majority of my career. Uh, and the best way to find me is on my website, NicoleArzt.com, A-R-Z-T, which you will probably misspell, mispronounce, and that's totally okay. I'm used to it. <laughs> There's a reason I just said Nicole, because I was like, I'm going to mess this up like every time. And I've practiced several times. I messed it up too. And I really hesitated taking it when I got married, but (laughs) I decided it was worth the sacrifice. You're like, that's what true love is. I took your name. (laughs) That's rad. So uh, in one minute or less, why'd you decide to become a therapist? Ah, so, um, you know, my answer I feel like it's never that exciting. It's slightly cliched, but it's mine. So it is what it is. Uh, I I always had an interest in working with people, understanding human behavior, connecting. Um, I've I've always kind of considered myself like, you know, a depth person. I really like intimacy Mm. and and conversation with people. And so that kind of just naturally, you know, lended a hand to being interested in studying psychology in, in my college experience, which you know, transpired to, okay, how do I practically apply what I really enjoy, uh, which, you know, was, was going into a clinical path. So I, I pursued my graduate training in uh, an MFT program out here. And I, I feel very fortunate because I knew pretty much from a young age that this was something I wanted to do. And it ended up being very gratifying and fulfilling. Yeah. Um, and so 
in, in some cases I've, I've really never looked back. It's, it's what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. And it's something I, I really enjoy doing. I love that. Yeah. You're like, you're like, it was everything I thought it would be and more and less and all the things <laughs> in different moments. Yeah. And kind of nothing. I thought it would be at the same time. Yeah. Good. Because I think yeah. there is some disconnect with what we think being a therapist is. And then you get there and you're like, wait a second, those books did not prepare me. That teacher did not prepare me. Like no. that vignette that doesn't apply in the real world. Right. And so where's my Gloria? Like yeah. we're just going to sit there so nicely, whatever I do or whomever is in yeah. front of her, she's just going to have this lovely experience no matter what. Yeah. And then you get there and, and the real world of doing therapy is much more, it's, it's a lot messier. It's awkward. It's, it's nuanced. And so, but there's beauty in that too. Um, and I, I've been very blessed on this journey and have learned a lot from my clients, from my mentors. And, and I, I love the work. Awesome. And from the point that you graduated to the point that you were licensed, how long did that process take? Uh, I think when I was said and done, maybe two to two and a half years, I, I cranked out those hours yeah. out here. Uh, I, just, I had to work. I didn't really have a choice. So I yeah. <laughs> had all different jobs together. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money, so I just needed to do whatever I could to, to pay rent and uh, feed myself and get hours. And so, um, yeah, I was able to stack quite a bit of those hours pretty quickly. And I was pretty motivated to get licensed because I kind of knew once you get licensed, there'd hopefully be more opportunity uh, which ended up being the case. So you might be able to pay rent and buy food like exactly. <laughs> the same paycheck, which I feel like we've gotten better at in this field. You know, yeah. I think therapists, uh, just have more confidence now than maybe they did even a decade ago when I was starting out, but yeah. can ask more for their worth. Whereas I was like told that I was lucky I was getting paid at all, you know, and yeah, and kinds of really toxic messages that I think, yeah. You, you seem like, you know what I'm talking about. And yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I got, I was really lucky to have, I got $16 an hour to be the supervisor lucky. of a. <laughs> and that is, it's lucky. <laughs> I was super lucky um, to do that. So yeah, it was an experience for I, sure. Awful. I always talk about this, like on my meme page of people, like my brother who was a couple, who's a couple years younger than me, he was working at a Starbucks at the time. And he was making more than I was post-grad my first job. And then I think my second job too. <laughs> and I was like, not <laughs> and that coffee's not important. We all need coffee, but I was but, like, come on. <laughs> you're like, I just invested how much. And he probably had better benefits too. On oh, top of that, yeah, like absolutely. he could, he could actually get therapy and have an EAP. <laughs> Yeah. You couldn't as a therapist. Yeah. Oh, interesting. No. It's, it's really appalling. And, um, it's very disheartening. And I, I do think we're making strides in helping support therapists now in advocating for their worth and yeah. like being able to value your financial well-being. but that's new that, that I don't yeah. feel like that's always been the climate in this field. No, when we first started coming on the coming out and actually talking about like how to set fees, like let's really talk about what it takes to run a business. Like, what does this look like? And like talking about the option of doing private pay versus insurance, not even just like you should, but like, Hey, there's an option. Um, when in some cases people are getting reimbursed, like $33 a session, you know, as a 1099 is just like the whole ridiculousness of it. 
people would like send us nasty messages. You're going to make therapy not accessible. You know, you're making therapy only for the rich. You're making, you know, blah, 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 blah. And now people are like, oh, like this has changed our life and our profession. And like, oh, wow. Like this is, this is such a shift. Now, you know, people that have learned those lessons can pay it forward. They're making sure that they're making good a good income and then they can hire people in a way that makes sense so they can provide them a good salary and benefits and all those other things, you know? So it's, it's definitely been a transformation over the last, last 15 years for sure. And it's been beautiful to see. Um, yeah, it's been beautiful. Your program focuses a lot on that, on just like helping therapists feel more confident in being able to like honor their needs to, to pay rent and put <laughs> more than that, right. To, yeah. to feel like you're earning your worth and that helps mitigate burnout. It helps yeah. so many trickle effects of that. And I just hope we continue on this trend yeah. uh, where, where therapists, I think where I read, maybe it was on your website that we're like the lowest paid yeah. profession within the master's yeah. level. And that's, that's not fair, you know? Well, and you know, when we started, we were on that top 10 list, the first couple, now that there's more programs, we actually take up more of the top 10 list than we used to, <laughs> but we're not quite, so that's interesting. Okay. Um, but it's kind of, it, there are some shifts happening. Yeah. Um, but also chiropractic was one that was one of the highest paid for like a, a two-year degree. And I talked with people about it and talked to some chiropractors and they said, do you know where that is? Don't you? And I said, no, I, I have no idea. And they said, well, about, you know, 25 to 30% of the, of what you learn in that school is how to do chiropractic. The other like 60 to 75% is all about how to run the business part of it. Well, over the last 10 years, a lot of new chiropractic programs have come out that were more holistic and they're more focused on the care of the client. So then those chiropractors are coming out and struggling with how to run a business. And suddenly that's shifting how they're getting paid. So it's this, it's this wonderful thing to even look into another profession uh-huh. and see. And that's where, that's why we're so committed to the business school um, for therapists is, Hey, we know that if we can give you the information and data, you're going to be able to sustain in this work. You're going to be able to make sure that you're taking time off, that you're not coming into work when you're like sick and miserable, that you'll know what burnout feels like. You'll take a sabbatical when you need to, you can have, you know, a retirement plan or just money to take a vacation. Like the amount of therapists that haven't taken a vacation in years, you know, their vacation is, oh, I got COVID now. I have a credit card bill, but you know, I got two weeks off, so that's it. It's like, oh, it's heartbreaking. It is. It's interesting that you brought up the chiropractic model because I don't think it should be an either or, right? But mm-hmm. it should be emphasis on both. Um, yes. And and we can dive into this later, but I, I learned a lot of that business stuff, if you will, on my own, and I'm grateful I did, and that I have the aptitude for it. But I think it is where a lot of therapists really struggle, even if you don't go into private practice, even if you're advocating for yourself in an agency or you're a 1099 clinician and you need to learn how to like run your books. I mean, like we all are affected by needing to know business and needing to know 
like how the working world works in that sense. So, and if you are a 1099 clinician for everyone who's listening, if you're being paid as a 1099, you need to hear me. You are a business owner. That's right. That is the only way you can get paid as a 1099 employee is if you are a business owner. So if you are being paid as a 1099 and you're like, I'm doing that because I know nothing about running a business, it's time to learn (laughs) and it's time to understand what those pieces are. Um, We could go into all the reasons as to, as to why, but just please trust from the bottom of our heart. We both care about you. (laughs) You're running a business, get some information. It's going to be important before and after tax time and long-term for your, (laughs) absolutely (laughs) for all the pieces. Okay. So you have a private practice, but we're not going to talk that much about that today because you do something that's really cool. That's really (laughs) out of the norm. And it started with this Instagram account. Do you want to share with people the impetus for the Instagram and what that's looked like? Yeah. So, uh, I read the psychotherapy memes community. Our, our main presence is on Instagram, but there's also Facebook and other various social media platforms, but that's our Instagrams, our, better, our bread and butter. And so the birth story of it, you know, in hindsight, it feels so like boring, but uh, I, you know, I was working in an agency and, and running a private practice and doing uh, consulting and writing on the side. So I was working like 80 hours a week. Don't recommend. Uh, <laughs> 10 out of 10, don't recommend. <laughs> don't recommend, but you do what you do. Uh, and so it was kind of an outlet. Like for me, I, I find memes funny. I think most of us do. And, you know, you're, you're at work talking with your coworkers and, and there's dark humor, right? There's, there's sarcasm, there's cracking jokes. There's, there's offhanded remarks that we, that we make about the nuances of our field. And so I thought, okay, why not, why not kind of make an art out of this and throw it on Instagram? And, uh, it just, it, it kind of just snowballed from there, uh, started posting the memes anonymously for a couple, for about two years, uh, because I was scared (laughs) that I like lose my license or something terrible would happen. Um, and yeah, it just started gaining some traction and, and gaining followers and people engaging. And I've learned so much about my community that, that we can dive into if you want to, Miranda, just about a lot of therapists feeling these same feelings and struggling with some of the issues in our field or, or feeling incompetent or insecure in their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what started as just this kind of funny page has evolved into yes there's these memes and the the humor with it but this like connection this global connection of people feeling oh hey I'm not alone and we can share our common experiences uh through social media which cool it's been really cool I think it's the piece of like there is something so interesting about connecting at a point of and it is humor, but also it's pain, right? There's like a certain amount of like connecting at this point of pain that I think does bring people together in like a beautiful way. Like I think about like the study group that I started right back in the day, it was this pain of like, we're all frustrated and lost about what to do with exams. Right. And so here's this place where you're, you're kind of meeting people at a different place of like, dude, I'm like frustrated and scared. Like here I am in the room. And there are thoughts that I'm thinking 
or maybe like, you know, maybe even saying to a friend, but like, I can't say that to a supervisor. I don't know how other people will hear it. You know, we have Facebook groups and there's like this double-edged sword about it. Um, I'm such a proponent of groups like that's I'm pro community, but the, and it used to be that like having a group of therapists online, it was like, oh, we can't do that. It's unethical. We can't talk about it. Now it's sort of shifted the other way, but somebody will post something. You'll see this green therapist, like post something just really well-meaning, just this green question. And then you just see them just get like rocked by people <laughs> just like, you're just like, oh no, no, this is a new uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like what the F is going on here? Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like a lot of what I see on psychotherapy memes is like giving voice to that in like a lovely way of like, Hey, we all start here. Like we're all good. And like, these are the feelings that we all feel. And these are the things that are confusing to all of us. And I feel like it gives us like anonymous space for people to just share the thing and, and not have to necessarily own it, but they get to express it in a way that feels just so safe. Yeah, that is, that is the goal. And I love Miranda that you pointed out because I always look at it as like, oh, it's humor, but yeah, it is. It's addressing pain and it is addressing fear and insecurity or inadequacy. And yes, I, I'm like a master lurker at a lot of Facebook groups because I've, I too have been hesitant to sometimes comment or ask a question because of that, like dogpiling effect of, yeah. of people like attacking you or just, you know, and, and good moderators can sometimes mitigate that. Yeah. There is still that like, you know, anxiety that I think a lot of us feel. Yeah. We don't want to be judged or shamed for having a question. And yeah. yeah. Inadvertently, I, I believe psychotherapy means has become this kind of inclusive and supportive environment for all of us to just kind of laugh at some of the yeah. crazy parts of our work. Yeah. Uh, while feeling bonded that, okay, this is, I'm not alone. <laughs> this yeah. is more universal than I realized. Um, and so it's, it's not making fun of clients. It's not making no. fun of like what therapy is, but it, it's more making fun of myself and making fun of just like <laughs> sometimes the issues that I faced or my frustrations with the stuff that we all have frustrations with, like certain administrators or insurance or not making enough money. Like we were saying earlier, just yeah. these common barriers that affect so many of us well but I also like there was something sweet about even like your starter packs like the play therapist starter pack kind of thing where I was just like I remember and again it it goes back to even supervision that I had a wonderful supervisor but like looking back I did not really get play therapy supervision I was like hey how does this work I'm seeing kids they're like get some uno cool I just played uno for like weeks like Uh I don't okay so I just play uno like is this really what we're doing and they're like well what have you been working on I'm like playing uno that's what you told me to do like we're coloring I mean what else is there right (laughs) I don't know what's happening here like truly and I and it's funny because I can look back I'm like, oh, what a lovely thing that truly like having just a safe, consistent relationship with an adult, like you, you saw progress and the parents reported progress, but like, what a funny thing, but like, what could it have been? And I, I did play therapy too. And I had no training in play therapy like you. And I had Uno and I had crayons and I had 
the feelings, Jenga. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Oh my gosh. Huh? My, when my son, you know, started wanting to play sorry. And I was just like, oh my God, like it's going to, it's, it took me a couple of years. It was just like, oh my God, I have played this game for so many hours. Uh-huh. It's burned out. Yeah. I, I haven't thought about how that will that will play. My, my kid is still too young, but they will reach that point where I'm like, ah, oh, I played a million of these. I don't know if I'm ready to do Uno yet, but we'll they see. have so many variations on Uno now. I've heard. I've yeah. Heard. So the variations yeah. will help in my, they've helped me at least. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that piece too of, um, I think there's, there haven't been a lot of places where therapists feel like heard and spoken of, you know, like a lot of what we do is kind of like behind closed doors. It's kind of private. It's kind of hidden. Absolutely. You have this kind of like fear. There's a little bit of just like a fear-based shame-based something that we like to like, Oh, the BVS or Oh, the camps or the, Oh, the thing. And Oh, your supervisor and Oh, the um, we're going to lose our license. We're going to lose our clients. Um, it's isolating. Yeah. And especially in the past couple, two, two ish years with COVID, most yeah. of a lot of us working remotely, it's even more isolating. Right. Um, yeah. and not talking about these issues, in my opinion, only exacerbates them. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about, so just to give people even a reference, if they haven't heard of you, how many people are following you on Instagram? Um, I think it's about 115, 20,000 at this point. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's a big community. It's pretty, pretty significant, especially when it comes to therapists and getting therapists connected online, which is really rad. It is. So rad. when did you have the idea to write the book? You know, so it's, it's kind of a twofold because I I've always worked professionally as a writer that even predates my therapy career. I, I used to make money in college by, by writing little blog articles and helping people with their resumes, things like that. Uh, I didn't think writing could be a real career. So that was also one of the reasons I got a psychology degree and uh, pursued therapy. Uh, and so I've always had an affinity towards writing and having built a significant platform on, on Instagram Uh, I kind of started thinking, okay, I'm realizing more and more that we therapists are experiencing some of these feelings of profound inadequacy, insecurity, uh, fear, ambivalence, uh, just feeling lost or helpless, ashamed, right? All those, all those real big feeling words. Um, And there just wasn't I mean, you're, you're in this profession as well. You know, the books that are out there, a lot of them are good, very well-intentioned, but come across as a little pretentious and come across as a little, here's this perfect vignette. I was just talking about this with a colleague today. Here's this perfect vignette and just do X, Y, and Z and they will be X, Y, like, like it's a recipe almost like you just stir these ingredients together and you have this final product. And Anyone who's listening to this, who is practicing knows that therapy does not work that way. Uh, It's a lot more nuanced and messy and awkward, hence the title of the book. And so I just started writing. I just started writing about my experiences of being a therapist, of learning how to grow as a therapist, of 
what therapy felt like, what I believe therapy looks like, um, which, which was scary. You know, I, I don't have all these amazing credentials. I don't have, you know, 50 years of working in the field. I don't have lots of research or any of that under my belt. So it was, it was definitely a little vulnerable to, to put something like that out there, but, mm-hmm. um, the feedback's been amazing. People have needed a voice to, to tell them, Hey, like, it's okay to feel insecure mm-hmm. sometimes. And you are still doing good work and therapy is hard. And here's some things that make it less hard essentially. Uh, and so yeah, I, I didn't know what shape the book would really take when I started writing that came more in subsequent drafts and editing, but I knew it was going to be something that was a book that was reassuring. That was my goal, a reassuring piece, mm-hmm. something that would, I would have wanted to read in graduate school or my very early training years that would have been like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. share about what the field is. Just kind of like the, almost like a touchstone, like, oh, okay. Like, yes, oh, this, I'm going to ground back into this because therapy is awkward. I feel awkward. Yes, this is normal. Sometimes therapy is awkward. And <laughs> the, which is the title of the book for, we didn't say that. Um, title of the it. book is sometimes therapy is awkward. Uh, <laughs> and I am forever grateful for, for one of my initial beta readers for telling me that my original title, which was something like more flowery. It was like, reassurance for the growing therapist or something a little (laughs) and he read the whole thing he's like Nicole I love the book but like the title doesn't match the tone and I was like what and so you know I remember talking back and forth with my husband and I was like I don't know how do you capture something that is so awkward and I was like oh okay there it is like (laughs) sometimes it's awkward like yeah and so you know, we, we all read Yalom and, and Kotler and all these great, great therapists that I look up to and that I love their work and I recommend it, but sometimes could feel a little like, oh, I'm never going to be as good as them. So right. this, this book aimed to just, like I said, be a breath of fresh air that like, Hey, you're, you're doing a good job mm-hmm. and it's hard for most of us. And, uh, you're definitely not alone in those. Yeah. Now, did you decide to self-publish or do you pitch to publishing houses? So I did pitch to a few different publishing houses and was actually granted a few different contracts. Ultimately, I rejected them and chose self-publishing, which I'm happy to dive into. And I don't have any regrets about my choice, Uh, but it was its own learning process in and of itself. And like I said, if that's something you want me to dive into, happy to do that as well. Yeah, I think it's great if if you're up for it. Sure. So for those of you who are listening and may not know, publishing is like its own whole world out there. It's it's super complex and like not easy to navigate. (laughs) Lots of gatekeepers. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So traditional publishing is what I think most people think of when they think of publishing. You, you pitch it, your, your manuscript, which is your final product to an agent or a publishing house, usually an agent. Uh, who then pitches it to a publishing house and they basically grant you a contract and uh, distribute your book and and you're granted royalties and and they may help a lot with your marketing and putting your book in the bookstores. Like if you want to be at Barnes and Noble, that's usually the route you're going to take. Self-publishing is the the newer player in the game, which is basically the author taking kind of full control over the product uh, and marketing it and and selling it themselves. 
and so with self-publishing, you're kind of responsible. You are responsible for creating, selling, making, sharing the product. Uh, so it's it's a little more daunting. It requires probably a lot more upfront work and, and costs. Uh, so with my process, I finished my drafts of the book uh, and started, my, my husband was my first editor, of course, uh, mm-hmm. who he, he's also uh, a therapist and works in the fields. And then um, that's where I was able to lean on the psychotherapy memes community. You know, they, they kind of knew I was writing a book and we we're following the journey and did an open call for some beta readers and found some really good beta readers who tore my first drafts apart and told me to fix all this, which you, you develop a skin yes. uh, for the process. And okay. went through all that, took their, their feedback to heart, made the changes, um, found a traditional editor who has been a social worker for 30 years. So what better than someone who knows our work? Yeah. Had her edit it, found a really good designer to to make the book look exactly as I wanted. So you lose some of that control with traditional yeah. Yeah. They can choose how to design your book, edit your book, tweak your book, which again, totally works really well for a lot of the books that we love. But for me, I was like, I just, I don't want to lose anything authentic. I, I felt like I owed it right to my platform mm-hmm. to, to keep it as true to me as possible. And so went through all that. And then, uh, there's just different distribution platforms that you can basically submit your manuscript to. And so at this point, the book is, uh, available like as an ebook through most ebook distributors like Amazon and mm-hmm. Apple and Kobo. And there's, a uh, the paperback distribution, which is pretty much available at all bookstores. And then I did find an audiobook narrator. So that was fun too. Uh, interviewing different voices. <laughs> a lot of people ask me why I didn't do it myself. And maybe in future books, mm-hmm. I would. I just found it intimidating. I I also am not always the best at pronouncing words. So I, I thought it would take me a thousand edits to like go through rereading it and, and reciting the same words. And so now the book's available as an audiobook because a lot of people I learned like listening to books while they're walking or driving or yeah. whatever. So, uh, yeah, that, that's been the process. Uh, and so I knew self-publishing would probably work for me because I had a platform. Yes. Uh, without a platform, it's it's definitely a lot harder. You're, you're going to be spending a lot more time and probably money on marketing efforts and getting your name out there because I'm sure Miranda, like you might look at Kindle or something like, and there's like a million options and you're yeah. like, if you don't know what you're looking for, no one's, you're, you're not going to find this unknown. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, I did a pre-launch on Instagram and it was kind of exciting because that's kind of when I came out with my identity because before that point I had been anonymous. And yeah. So there was just this really big support and hype and sold a bunch of signed copies of the book and I just had so much great support and feedback from mm. my community. And so, uh, the past, it's now been out for a year and it's just been such a awesome, exciting year. Oh, that's so rad. Yeah. That is something, um, that like surprised you or was unexpected about the book process for you. Just how many steps there were, I <laughs> right? <laughs> but it, it, it's, and people do gatekeep information. Like I definitely joined a few different groups about the process with self-publishing and people would be so mean. Like you'd ask a question, they'd be like, oh, that's Googleable," Or like, 
oh, well, you know, and it's like, well, I'm really good at Google and I still can't figure that out. So um, another part that's, I mean, it didn't surprise me. I knew it, but it's still hard. Like, you know, they say, oh, don't ever read your own reviews. But like, of course you do. And sometimes, of course, it still hurts my fragile heart when there's negative reviews. Uh, but I guess I can't say that surprised me, but it surprised me that it would still affect me. And it, of course it does, you know, I'm only yeah. human. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I think that is, I think uh, Kelly and I are um, finishing up another book and just, we got a quote for one person just for the editing and putting it into formatting. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're able to, you know, and they were wonderful, you know, they're wonderful, but it was like, oh my goodness. You know, you're, you're just doing the math um, oh, yes. of your like investment of like, how many copies of this would I need to sell <laughs> just right. to make back the yeah. design, the editing, the copy, like, cause there's like, and like your husband's able to do part of it, but you have like the copy editing, you have the formatting for these different places in terms of Kindle audiobooks. Like people were like, oh, you just read the book. No, to submit to Audible, you have to read it. It has to be read in a very particular format at a certain thing. And they can literally run the audio. And if it's not up to par, they will not accept it. So it's like Audible a whole investment. And I, Audible and I are in an abusive relationship. Like, <laughs> I did everything in my power to get them all released at the same time. And sure enough, my audiobook was three months after publication date because audible like I don't to this day I still don't even know what they were nitpicking at but okay so you're kind of going through this process yeah, yeah. and I didn't yeah. even talk about the upfront investment but you're usually looking between like five to ten grand at least yeah. with, with these startup costs and again yeah. if you you know you you have platform you have support but for a very new author who's like I just want to get a book out there of course that's going to be super overwhelming and kind of daunting and yeah you're probably gonna lose that money with that first book and yeah. you might gain a following and it like pays off later or with subsequent books which I think is true for a lot of authors yeah. but um yeah they're there that can be a little discouraging for people for sure and I think I think that's the piece too for me especially when when people are like I want another stream of income so I want to do a book I'm like okay do a book <laughs> Because you want to like really show your expertise. You want to change the world. You want that to open up a stream of income like speaking or future books. But if you just need money right now in your practice, like this ain't it. <laughs> this, is, this is not the I'm most so direct path. <laughs> I'm so with you. The book's been amazing to me. I won't deny that. But uh, I wouldn't recommend it as like your first course of action for like passive income. Because first of all, since now I know that you're, you're finishing up a book, you know, like how hard it is to write <laughs> yes. a book. Like yes. you hate it by the yes. end. Yes. That's, yes. That's what my editor told me. She's like, you know, you're done when you hate it. And I'm like, cool. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> That's exactly. Well, and our, our book is about burnout and I'm like, I'm so burnt out. I'm writing this fucking book. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That's great. Totally. Perfect. <laughs> totally. And yeah, it's, I mean, after it's all said and done and like those royalties come in, yes, that is passive, but there's, there's probably a lot easier of ways to make that money, you know, <laughs> Even if it's a more active stream, but yeah. if it is something you feel called to do or something you like you said, you have a lot of expertise in, or it's always been a goal of yours. 
I don't, in some ways it's never been easier, right? To get a book mm -hmm. out there. And I think it's awesome that there are options if you want to self-publish to put your words out there, uh, even if they won't fit within the confines of what traditional publishers might want. And yeah. So, yeah. There's so many, there's so many options. And I think that that piece of, I, I think especially in the last couple of years, we've all kind of paused, <laughs> taken a collective pause and been like, okay, what is happening in my life that's really aligned and that's really working for me and what is not. Absolutely. Um, and I think there was the, someone was talking, there's this whole thing about the great resignation, you know, like so many people like leaving positions or what have you. Um, and I think there's also like this, I have a, a mentor who's talking about everyone's going to like move one to the left of like, just like this kind of refocusing, readjusting. It's not that people are resigned. It's just people are really like, I need a shift and I change and I don't know. And I, I need to finally like move forward on whatever that thing is. And yeah. I think for some people it is a book. And I think for some people it's creating a, a business, a life, and maybe a platform that would support you and being able to have the time, energy, and money to invest into a book. You I know? do not agree more. I mean, I was able to position myself through my work and through that career that I built to afford me, you know, financially and mentally to sit down and, and write because yeah. as you know, <laughs> It, it takes a long time to write something out and it is, it is exhausting. And, um, it, it's a lot harder if, if you're like strapping by and if you're feel like you barely have your head above the water, it's going to be hard to pursue those like more creative, uh, goals. Well, I think it's going to be harder, but it's also going to be less effective. Like, like you're, you're not going to bring your highest and best when you're like amygdala, you know, when I like fight or flights and response, like that's not the place where we like make these amazing connections generally. Like that's from a place of safety and security is when we're able to like teach and share and like birth something, you know, it's not. I mean, I guess you could give birth running down through the forest, but like generally your body, if you're running, your body's going to be like, no, we're not, we're not doing it. It shuts down all the other processes. You're totally right. It is very hard to be even in that like creative space or that like positive mindset when you're just feeling super tapped and super burnt and just yeah. exhausted. So yeah, yeah I, I agree with you on that. Okay. All right. So as we kind of wrap up, um, I have two questions for you. One, <clears throat> if there's someone else who is kind of in that space of, you know what, I really think I want to write a book. Like this really feels like it's part of my, um, part of my path going forward. What's like that one biggest piece of advice takeaway you want that person to know or hear from you? Write the book is the first part, like, <laughs> right? The actual book, because that is the hardest, hardest part mm -hmm. uh, is actually getting the words on paper. Uh, that means don't focus on all the publishing stuff. Don't focus on the business stuff. Don't even focus on like, is this good? Like set defined goals mm -hmm. for writing and stick to them. So I'm potentially right now working on a second book. We'll see how it goes, but I am dedicating myself to get a thousand words at least five days a week, that's 5,000 words a week. 
the first few days, super easy, super like, I got this, I got this, I'm gonna do 2000 words. And now it's like, I don't want to write these words, you know? <laughs> but out of that, it's no, but it, it's a habit, right? Like I'm a big yeah. advocate of just building these, these healthy <clears throat> habits for yourself. Um, because you will not write the book. <laughs> like yeah. you just won't, you'll come up with all sorts of excuses. You'll get busy. It's super easy to procrastinate, but uh, the discipline is so important because you got to have that book first and the imposter syndrome is going to creep in. The insecurities are going to creep in all the doubts going to creep in, but I'm sure Miranda, like, you know, having working on one yourself, like, you just got to write it. Yes. <laughs> just move forward. I think it was helpful for us. I think because we have two of us yeah. Um, and then we did have a, a book coach who was like, all right, here's the date. You got to get the thing in. So even though we're self-publishing, we're like, okay, we're, we're accountable to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> it was like yeah. moving us down the path. It was helpful. So whether it's you're holding yourself accountable or you're part of like a writing group, which I know mm. a lot of my, like fellow authors are part of something that's keeping you on track, mm. like some kind of tangible deadline. Um, and you're going to resent it because <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I, I follow a lot of authors and I, I, built some relationships with other authors. And that seems to be the best single piece of advice is like, you just mm. got to discipline, like how we do with any other work. Like sometimes yeah. we don't want to do therapy sessions or we don't want to do our notes, but like you just do them because yeah. you have to. And so, I mean, some people don't, but <laughs> then they carry a lot of shame about it. And then correct, <laughs> correct. That, that's no problem. And so, yeah, man, I mean, there's so many there's so many books that still need to be written. There's so many ideas that still need to be solidified and, and brought out into this world. And so start writing it. Yeah. Seriously. Awesome. And so go to Nicole arts, A R Z T.com. I said it wrong, but I spelled it right. So there's that, um, to go and get your copy. Uh, sometimes therapy is awkward and leave her a lovely glowing review a lovely glowing review because Unless I it, painted it. That's okay too. <laughs> I, I, I take it. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. No, just keep it to yourself. It's fine. The book is written. If you didn't like it, just move on. <laughs> just move on. It's okay. You don't have to put your energy into that. Find a book that you love and write a great review about that. Um, <laughs> thank you again, Nicole, for coming in and sharing with people your expertise and your experience and just the realness of like, Hey, this is what life is like. And this is what business is like. And I love that you exude that not just in psychotherapy memes or in the book, but just in your everyday conversation, um, and here with our listeners. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate you. Thank you, Miranda. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Yeah. For those of you who are listening, go and uh, check us out. If you need more resources in growing, starting, or revamping your solo or group practice. We have the Business School for Therapists, the award-winning multiple sellout program that doesn't just help you make sure that you make an income and you can buy rent and food, uh, but also that ensures that you're giving great clinical outcomes, that you feel healthy and whole as a human and a therapist, and that you love your happy, happy life. So until next time, bye guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast. 
Just a reminder, if you want some support in your private practice, we have an upcoming free training on creating a subpoena process. So check it out at zinnime.com and we'll see you next time.